Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, you all are on time. Look at look how punctual you are. I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we have much to be thankful for, don't we? We have so much to be thankful for. Let's let me pray, and I'll uh, introduce the class, and then we'll we'll jump into Luke chapter nine. Okay, let's pray. O oh Lord, give thanks. O oh Lord, we give thanks for your steadfast love endures forever. And we do praise you, O oh Father, this day for your steadfast love. We thank you that you have opened our eyes to see the glory and the grace of your Son as you have revealed in the gospel of your grace. And we pray, O oh Father, as we read your word together this morning, that you would even this morning, by your spirit, work in us thankful hearts. Help us to stand amazed that you have condescended to speak words that you've given it to us in a book that we can read, in a language that we can understand. Lord, that we have other brothers and sisters around us to help us, to spur us on to love and good deeds. Lord, that we enjoy the freedoms in this country to be able to gather publicly to hear your, re your word read and preached and prayed and sung. Lord, you have lavished your mercy upon us this day. And so we pray, Father, that you, in your kindness, would open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. All for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you, who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. If, if I've not met you, or I guess even if I have met you, my name is Nick. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. I'm delighted that you're here. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is... We're going to try, by God's grace, to look at scriptures in the New Testament, in particular in the Gospels, that help us to fix our minds and our hearts on the glory and the majesty of the Savior. And so I hope uh, as we study this uh, particular passage this morning, it kind of opens up the, the theme of the class, uh, the glory of the Son. And I pray as we go through it, we're not going to only experience studying these passages together, but we'll actually grow together in learning how to read the Bible uh, more carefully and prayerfully. And so uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll spend a few weeks doing this together in the Gospels. We'll have two weeks off. Uh, on um, We're not going to have the class on Christmas Eve or on the 31st. And then we'll kick back off in January for a few weeks. And then we'll start the next round of equipping classes uh, at the end of that. Um, you should have gotten a, a little handout that looks like this. You'll see on the back uh, there's a schedule that shows you kind of what, what classes are coming up and what, what classes, what text you can read and uh, be prepared to, to consider those together. Okay, so before we, uh, before we look at it, the, the actual point of the class, I did want to just mention one verse that got me thinking about this. A few weeks ago, I was reading in Matthew 13, and Jesus is talking about the generation of people that he ministered to in Israel. And he said something haunting. And so if, if you're not paying attention, pay attention to this. Jesus, having performed signs and wonders in the midst of all of Israel, having taught and preached as the Messiah, having done all of these amazing things and said all these amazing truths, he said this of the generation 2,000 years ago. He said this, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, there's a kind of hearing and a kind of seeing that that generation experienced, and yet they missed out completely. In other words, there's a kind of saying that you can do with your eyes and your ears, 
that's not spiritual hearing or spiritual seeing. This generation saw the mighty deeds that Jesus did. And they heard his sermons. And yet Jesus says they neither saw nor heard nor understood. Now that's a haunting verse, isn't it? In other words, there's a kind of seeing with the eyes of your heart. There's a kind of hearing that you hear by faith. And that's the kind of seeing and hearing we're going to try to, by God's grace, cultivate in this class. We want to, to see the majesty of Christ. We want to behold the majesty of Christ. And I have exegetical warrant for, my, for, for this class. So let me, let me go here. Let me give you the aim really quickly. Then I'm going to give you the support. Um, the whole aim of this class is we want to grow in seeing and savoring. I'll explain what that means in a second. The glory and grace of Jesus. We want to do this in his word. And we have a purpose so that or in order that we might be transformed more and more into his image. So let me spend a few minutes unpacking that and then we'll jump into Luke 9. Okay? Um, we want to see. I've just explained that. We want to actually read the Bible and see what's there with the eyes of faith. We want to see. We want to behold we want to look for the glory and the grace of Jesus. Um, how many of you ever, maybe you have a Bible reading plan. Have you ever opened your Bible, started reading? You read for a few minutes, you pray, and then an hour later, you don't remember what you read. Am I the only one? You, you, you get all those boxes checked on your Bible reading plan, and then you think, what did I see this morning? What did I hear well, I'm going to try to persuade you in this class that when you open your Bibles, you don't want to simply go to learn more things, more truths. Those, of course, it's true. But I want to persuade you that when you open your Bible, you want to actually actively look for the glory and grace of Jesus. And then when you see the glory and grace of Jesus, I want you to savor. I want you to relish I want you to treasure when you see something good and true and beautiful you don't just kind of glance at it and move on you, you enjoy it and that's what I want us to to learn how to do and the reason we want to do all this is so that we'll be changed okay so where do I get that from well I think I mentioned this at the evening service last Sunday the last thing Jesus did when he before he went to the cross remember he prayed for himself he prayed for his apostles, and he prayed for you and for me, for all of those who would believe in him through the witness of the apostles. And that prayer is, what, what do we call that prayer in John 17? What is it called? What was it? The high priestly prayer, that's right. And in John 17, Jesus prays. And what does he pray for you and for me on the night Jesus was betrayed? It's recorded for us in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, notice this, may be with me where I am. So he wants, he wants you to be with him. Now, he could have stopped there, right? That's, 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 that's great, right? To, to be with Jesus, that's perfect. But why does he want us to be with him? Look at the purpose clause. To see my glory. Jesus prays you will be with him in order that you might see the glory that he has had since before the foundation of the world. So that's the first thing. If, if Jesus is praying ultimately that we will see his glory, my encouragement is, why wait till then? <laughs> Let's look for his glory now by faith, the very thing that we're going to see then by sight. And why do we want to look for his glory and grace now? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, and we all with unveiled face, notice this, beholding 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. By beholding the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel, as we understand and grow deeper in our understanding and beholding the glory of Christ as revealed in his gospel, by his spirit we are changed. Now, I don't know what your, some of y'all make New Year's resolutions. And when you make New Year's resolutions, you're basically saying, I want to change. Right? Anybody not want to change? <laughs> I want to change. Talk to my family. I'm sure they want me to change. Well, if we want to change, what does 2 Corinthians 3.18 say we need to do? Behold the glory of the Lord. So that's another reason why when we open our Bibles, we want to look for the glory and grace of Jesus so that we can see it, savor it, and be changed by, by God's Spirit. Okay. All right. Uh, I've shared these before. These are my hermeneutics that I teach my kids. Um, so if they grow up and become heretics, it's not my fault. Look, these are Roark rules of interpretation, right? So we're going to give prayerful and careful attention to the words because that's where God's inspired meaning is. Words have meanings. But how do you know what the words mean? We got to look at them in context. Context is king, right? If you say something out of context, uh, what, what, what do we say? If you take a text... Out of context, all you're left with is a con. <laughs> it's a joke. Keep going. Y'all need to drink some coffee. Wake up. All right. And then you zoom out and you ask, well, as you look at a text in context, what comes before, what comes out? Guess what? The whole context of any passage is the whole Bible. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so you want to ask yourself, how does... How do other scriptures help you interpret that passage, okay? Scripture interprets scripture. And then that last one, this is what this whole class is about, really. We want to look for the glory and grace of Jesus, okay? And I hope as we dive into Luke 9, I hope that you'll, you'll, you'll begin to see that many of our challenges in seeing the glory and grace of Jesus is that we simply don't do this. We don't linger. Many of us think of our quiet times like microwaves instead of like crockpots. If you go to the, so, raise your hand if you've been to the Grand Canyon. I, okay, wow, like everybody in the room apparently except for me. Now, I would love to go to the Grand Canyon, but I can tell you this, when we ever get the, the, the plan to go to drive out there. I imagine every one of you have been to the Grand Canyon. You didn't drive all the way out there, get to the Grand Canyon, get out of your car, spend 30 seconds, get back in the car and drive back. What did you do? You lingered. You know why? Glory begs for lingering. You don't, you don't go to the Grand Canyon and spend five minutes. In the same way, if we want to see the glory and grace of Jesus, I'm not suggesting you have to have a five-hour quiet time. Well, some of you should. <laughs> if you got the time. What I would say is we ought to be able, by God's grace, and if, if we only have 15 minutes, maybe in those 15 minutes, you're lingering over one verse. Maybe if you have 30 minutes, you're, you're lingering over a handful of verses. I think one of the lost arts in our, in our, in our, in our uh, di spiritual disciplines is this word, meditation. And I don't mean emptying your mind. I mean filling your mind with Scripture because this is what's going to happen. As you read God's Word carefully and prayerfully, as you linger, as you treat your quiet time like a crock pot, Things begin to stew, right? You begin to, you begin to ruminate. You begin to meditate. And all of a sudden, by God's spirit, you begin to make connections. Things, other verses begin to come to mind. And you, you start to look at cross-references. And you begin to make connections that you never made before. So hopefully we'll see some of that this morning. 
So if, if you want a mental image of this class, it's a giant crock pot. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. Um, one commentator put it like this. We are going to get to Luke 9 eventually, I promise. I thought this is beautiful. We ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. I don't read the Bible to just learn more facts. I read the Bible to meet and commune with the risen Christ. And just like Paul said to Timothy, why do we want to do this? What's our aim in all this? Well, the aim of our charge is love. I hope and pray that you're reading your Bible, and this class even could serve in that way, that at the end of it, we love Jesus Christ more. That we see something of his grace and something of his glory, that by his spirit, we love him more. Because that's the goal of all things, is to love the Lord Jesus Christ having been revealed of his love. So in this class, when I talk about the glory of Jesus, I'm not talking about simply one thing. I'm using the word glory, I'm using the word glory to describe all the different attributes, all the different perfections that Jesus Christ has. And the texts that I have selected over these next couple of weeks highlight specific aspects of Christ's glory. So we're going to consider the glory of his majesty this morning, his divine majesty that's on display in the transfiguration. Later on, we're going to consider the glory of his sovereignty and the glory of his holiness and the glory of his justice and the glory of his humility and the glory of his love and the glory of his authority. If I were to ask you, some of you have been married a lot longer than Allison and I have, and if I were to ask you, if you've been married 30, 40 years, tell me something about wonderful about your spouse. I wouldn't want to hear just generic things. I'd want to hear specific things. And in the same way, if you've walked with Jesus for a while, I don't just want to hear that he's generically glorious. I want you to be able to tell me specific aspects of his glory that you find beautiful. So that's what we're going to try to do in this class. I'm going to stop there. Questions, comments, thoughts. And you know when I'm asking that, I genuinely want to know, but I also want to take a sip of coffee. Questions, comments, thoughts about what our aim is. Nobody? Cliff? Was that a, was that a hand? No. It's all movement. All right, we're going to keep going. Look at your Bible. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read... Uh, beginning in verse 28, if you've ever studied Luke's gospel before, you know this is a turning point chapter in his gospel. This is when Jesus, just shortly after this passage, Jesus, having taught, ministered in the north, up and around the Sea of Galilee, up around Capernaum for a long time in the Galilee, Jesus is going to, chapter 9, verse 51, he's going to turn and set his face like flint and start to head to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, Jesus is going to be teaching his disciples the way of the cross. But before he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, we find in this passage, Jesus reveals his glory and his grace to his disciples. So beginning in verse 28, this is what scripture says. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James. And they went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter... And those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and, and as the men were parting from him, Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah 
not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Okay, so what's the main idea of this passage? I'm going to try to argue over the next few minutes. The main idea of this passage is found right there in verse 35. You see it? Listen to him. Now that you think about this, the whole passage has got all these visual effects, right? If, if this was a movie, this is a lot of visual effects. There's a cloud, there's Jesus is transfigured, his clothing changes, all of these visual effects. And yet the main application is not look at Jesus, it's what? Okay, we got one person listening. What is it? <laughs> there we go. Listen to him. The point of this passage, the main idea is that God the Father speaks from heaven concerning his son and says, listen to him. Everything in this passage supports and illustrates that main exhortation. So I, there's lots of reasons, but I found three reasons in this passage that you should listen to Jesus, okay? Three reasons, all right? First reason, first reason, listen to God's glorious son. Listen to God's glorious son. What do we see in this opening few verses that helps us to see how God's son is absolutely glorious? Let's look at it again. About eight days, this is verse 28. About eight days after these sayings, we already talked about that, what, he, what he's just highlighted in the earlier context, right? He took with him Peter, John, and James. So these are the three disciples that are closest to Jesus, right? They're kind of his inner circle. And they went up onto a mountain. Uh, Mark tells us it was a high mountain. And uh, Luke's the only one that tells us why they went up. Why'd they go up, according to Luke? Yeah, to pray. Now, if you've read the Gospels, almost every time some major event happens in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus... It involves him going away to pray. That's your homework. Go read through the Gospel of Luke and look for that. And as he was praying, suddenly what happens? The, notice this. Luke tells us the appearance of his face was altered. And second thing he tells us, his clothing became what? Dazzling white. If you, if you go over and you read in Matthew and in Mark, they tell us that Jesus was transfigured. He was transfigured before them. He was transformed. His appearance was altered. He, he looked different suddenly. So Mark tells us one other detail. i got to include it. Oh, by the way. If you don't have one of these, this is a helpful little book. This came out this year. You can get a lot of different gospel parallels. Y'all know what like a, a gospel synopsis is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. A gospel synopsis is just, it puts all the gospel passages next to each other, and you get to see parallel events recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so it's a great Bible study tool. If you don't have one, you can find them online for free. But this is, this is a, a more recent one uh, it's the CSB. It's really, really useful. I've enjoyed reading it. Okay, one detail. Remember that detail that Mark tells us? Mark tells us this, talking about his clothes being so white. Extremely white, Mark tells us. Extremely white. And then what does he say? That's right. So that no launderer on earth could whiten them. Random. I mean, kind of funny. Okay, so what is this? You remember this? Where's Waldo? Okay, so 1987, this comes out. It came out in England, and it wasn't called Where's Waldo. Guess what it was called? 
Where's Wally? Where's Wally? There it is. Now, can, we're going to spend the whole rest of the class trying to find Waldo. I don't know where he is, but he's in there somewhere. Um, here's the point. How, how can you tell where Waldo is? By his what? His what? His, his clothes, right? His clothes. Now listen, remember I was talking about meditating? When you read this description in Luke 9 about Jesus' clothing and his appearance changing, as you meditate and as you do something amazing, you ready? As you look into your cross-references, you find out something about what's going on here. Just like you can identify Waldo by his clothes, you're supposed to make an identity identification by Jesus' clothes and his appearance changing. Where am I getting this? All right? I want to I I tell this to you. Ready? All right, so in your, in your, uh, in your notes, I think I, I put some space for you to write these notes down. Do you know of any other places where someone has a clothes that changed? You write this down. Daniel chapter 7. Whoops. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel 7, verse 9. And Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Listen to this. Daniel 7, verse 9. That's that famous passage describing the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man who is there with the Ancient of Days, remember? And listen, what, listen to the description of, of, of the Ancient of Days. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat and his clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool and his throne was fiery flames. And then at the end of the Bible, remember the description of, Jesus, of, of the glorified Jesus? What does it say? The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And listen to this. And his face was like the sun shining at full strength. So what you have here in this description, as you read the other gospel accounts and as you read this description of Jesus being transfigured, we're meant to think, wait a second, this is the Son of Man. This is the promised and prophesied Son of Man, the one who is absolutely glorious. Now, his face is shining. His, his clothes are shining. What other passage in the Old Testament do you think about, about someone's face shining gloriously? That's right, Moses. When did that happen? On a mountain. Interesting. And Moses goes atop Sinai, right, to meet with God. And remember, he comes down after spending time with God on the mountain, receiving the law. He, he, he's beholding the glory there. And he comes down the mountain, and what's on it, his face is what? It's, it's reflecting the glory, right? And it's so bright, what happens? The people at the bottom of the mountain do what? They're afraid. <laughs> They're like, cover your face. We, we, we can't even look at you, right? They're, they're terrified. But here's, I want you to see something just different. Moses' glory, the, the, the glory reflected on Moses' face was that. It was a what? It was a reflection. It wasn't coming from Moses. It was coming having seen the glory of the Lord. This isn't a reflection. This is the Lord himself revealing his divine glory. Later on, remember Moses is going to say to the Lord as in Exodus 34, Lord, show me your what? Show me your glory. And what did God say to him? You can't what? You, no one can see my glory and live. And yet here, here, the disciples, they aren't put into a cleft of a rock. Jesus reveals his divine glory atop that mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. So what we're seeing here 
It's the difference between the reflection or the light you see in the moon at night versus the light of the sun. Moses is like the moon. It's reflected. The the light's not coming from the moon. It's coming from the sun. But here we see the sun, the son of God displaying his original glory. I love the way one, one, one commentator put it like this. In his transfiguration, Christ gave his disciples merely a taste of his boundless glory. So why should you listen to the son? Because he's glorious. He's glorious. That's why you should listen to him. Second reason you should listen to him is because he's not just the glorious son. He's the promised son. Look again at verse 30. It says, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, okay? And notice, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Now, some of your Bibles have a little footnote here. Um, you don't have to know Greek. If you just read your footnotes, what, what is that little word? In, it's the word what? Exodus. It's the word Exodus. In other words, Moses and Elijah are atop the mountain with Jesus in glory, and they're speaking with him about his, notice that little word, his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. In other words, the Savior, the Redeemer, is going to Jerusalem to die as the sacrificial Passover lamb. And he's going to bring about a new exodus, a greater exodus. And he is chatting about that right now with Moses and Elijah. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. You see this reference to glory all the way through. And the two men who stood with him. So let's stop there. These two men, Moses and Elijah, we're not told why Moses, why Elijah, but you've got the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament, right? They're with Jesus atop this mountain. Now, I'm not sure why they don't, maybe it was really late at night, we're not sure, but Peter and James and John, they're sleeping, right? So if, if you fall asleep during Brad's sermon or, or Jeremy's sermon, right, you, you, you have exegetical precedent. I mean, they were, they were with Jesus and they're falling asleep. I mean, I, I'm not sure what to say here, but there it is. Peter and those who were with him, they were heavy with sleep. I mean, they're exhausted. But when they saw his glory and they saw the two men standing with him, and all of a sudden, as these men were leaving, they were, they were parting from him, Peter speaks up. Now, don't you love Peter? When in doubt, he just speaks or acts, right? Notice what he says. He sees Moses and Elijah. He can't take it anymore. So he says, Rabbi, Master, it's good that we're here. It's good. It's a good thing we're here. We were just dozing 30 seconds ago, but it's a good thing that we're here right now, Rabbi. Let's, I got a plan. Let's make three tents, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love Luke's editorial comment here. Notice, not knowing what he said. (laughs) If you read Mark's account, Mark's account says, for he did not know what to say, for he was terrified. When you get scared, some people just get really quiet, and some people just start blabbing, right? Clearly, we we know where Peter is. And just as a, this is an application point, if you're ever in the presence of the king of kings and the two greatest prophets of all time, don't talk, listen. <laughs> just a tip, that, it's free, that's not even the notes, right? So what are they talking about? They're talking about his what? His exodus, his, his work of redemption that he's about to perform in Israel. Now just as another side note, I think it's amazing, by the way, two things. There's a lot of stuff happening in this passage, but do you ever think about this? Who did not get into the promised land? 
Moses. He does here. He finally sets foot in the promised land. Who led the people of Israel in the Exodus? Moses. And that Exodus pointed forward, right? All of those sacrificial lambs. The people of Israel who were covered in the blood of a spotless lamb, the the, the angel of death, as it were, passed over them. The curse passed over them. And he's talking to the very Passover lamb himself, the one who's going to go and shed his blood. And those who were covered in the blood of that lamb, the curse of death, the curse of sin, will pass over them and fall on him. He's talking to Moses about this. He's talking to Elijah, the one who was coming to prepare the way of the Lord, who prophesied about that. And so Moses has been dead 1,400 years at this point. Elijah's been gone about 900 years. And now they're chatting with the Lord Jesus. And remember, here's here's the verse I want you to remember from this. At the end of Moses' life, right before he dies... Deuteronomy 18, 15. Remember what he said? Right before he died, he he was telling those guys, listen, this is the Nick Roark standard version. He says, you rascals, you you haven't believed with me the whole time I'm with you. But listen, he says this. He says, there's a day coming, Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. From among your own brothers, you must listen to him. So in other words, Moses says there's going to be a prophet like me that's going to come in the last days. God's going to raise him up. Listen to him. Okay? And so this is all happening. And right at this moment, what happens? Well... We're going to hear from another witness in verses 30. It should be, should say 30, 34. God's beloved son. And as he was saying these things, what happens? A cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid. It's getting scarier and scarier on that mountain. And as they entered the cloud... And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Matthew and Mark, they add, my beloved son. My beloved son, my chosen one. And what does he say? Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. So a couple, couple comments. Again, if you're looking at your cross-references, you can see these, these connections. I'm not pulling out anything that you can't find yourself. If you just get a, a, just a regular Bible that's got cross-references, all of, almost every single verse that's happening here has been written about in other parts of the Scriptures. Now, when you think about a cloud coming on a mountaintop, again, what do you think of? Think of Mount Sinai, right? But you also think about this. Think about this. This same word, the same word about the cloud overshadowing them, it shows up in Exodus 40 when the glory cloud came to the tabernacle. Remember? Exodus 40, verse 34. And that word overshadowed It also shows up one other place in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Remember what that verse says? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So think about this. I want you to just meditate on this for a minute. This glory cloud that God, by his spirit, he manifests in the tabernacle, was with Israel through the wilderness, right? They traveled through the wilderness. The glory was there. The the, the dedication of Solomon's temple, the glory is there. 
But then after the destruction of the temple, right, after the people go into exile, what happens to the glory? Departs. The presence of God manifested by the glory cloud is no longer in Israel. For 600 years, the people of Israel have been waiting the return of the glory of the Lord. And what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration? The glory cloud shows up. Six centuries of waiting and the glory of the Lord has finally returned. And God speaks through the cloud and says, this is my beloved son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. He's the one who is chosen and beloved of the father. Listen to him. And so the question that we need to meditate on as we spend a few more minutes as we close is will we listen to him? When you open your Bibles, as you look for the glory and grace of Jesus, we want to prayerfully and carefully seek to listen to the Son of God. A few years ago, there was a, an article written by a guy, a reporter for the New York Magazine. The name of the article was called this, quote, I used to be a human being. And this is, the sub, this is what he says in the subtitle. It says this, an endless bombardment of news and gossip and images has rendered us manic information addicts. It broke me. It might break you too. This is what this guy goes on to write in this article. Listen, he says he, he, he's online all the time on his phone, on his computer all the time, checking websites, checking news, checking social media. Anybody in this room have that problem? And this is what he began to, to notice about that. Quote, I tried reading books, but now that skill eluded me. After a couple of pages, my fingers twitched for a keyboard. I tried meditation, but my mind bucked and bridled as I tried to still it, to calm it. I got a steady workout, but it only gave me the relief of an hour or so. Over time, the pervasive virtual world, the online clamor, simply grew louder and louder and louder until I couldn't hear much of anything else. Although I spent hours each day alone and silent, it felt as if I were in a constant crowd of words and images and sounds and ideas and emotions and tirades. Listen, a wind tunnel of deafening, deadening noise. Then he goes on to write this, and I'm done. He says, I began to fear that this new way of living was actually becoming for me a way of not living. Brothers and sisters, I wonder, I wonder when we read our Bibles, as we open the scriptures, can we be so bombarded with other voices from the week, that it's hard, right? To stare, to linger, to meditate, to look for the glory and grace of Jesus. And so I do want to ask a few questions, and then I want us to do a little bit more meditation because I, I want to model what I'm asking you to do. I want to put in your notes just a couple questions, and then want to spend one more minute doing something else. Let me just ask you, what's keeping you? What's keeping you from prayerfully and carefully reading God's word every day? What's keeping you from prayerfully and carefully meditating on God's word every day? What's keeping you from prayerfully and carefully looking 
for the glory and grace of Jesus in God's word every day. And after you've considered those questions, ask, are you willing, by God's grace, to make a change? A change of heart. Um, If you ever want a, a good Bible study verse, there it is. Someone read Ezra 7.10 real quick. Ezra 7.10. Bible drill. Who can get to Ezra the fastest? Bible drill. Go. Just call it out. Read it real loud. One more time. See that? Study, do, teach. But it all goes back to heart. He set his heart to do these things. It starts with our hearts. So ask yourself this morning. It, it may not, you may not even be on social media. You may not even be on the internet. I, I don't know. But what, what is it that might be fixating your heart? Just to give you some practical stuff real quick. Practical stuff. Can I even read this? Maybe, maybe a little bit, a little bit, kind of. Is that better? Well, there we go. Let's say you're like, I just want to read the New Testament, all right? You could read the whole New Testament in three months by just spending 12 minutes a day. See? Makes you wonder. I think I heard, I heard someone say before, um, I, I don't remember the quote, I'm not going to say it. So 12 minutes, or maybe you're like, you know what, I I only have six minutes a day. Well, you could read the whole New Testament in six months. What I would encourage you to do is just pick one book. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, in the Bible, it never says you have to read the whole Bible in a year. Did you know that? (laughs) I have not, I've read the Bible all the way through several times. I've never seen that verse. But you you know what I have found to be really helpful at the beginning of the year I pick three books of the Bible, and I live in, live in them all year. You could take one book and read it for six months. Just read it over and over again. What I do is I start reading, and I get to the end, and then I just go back to the beginning, and I read it again, and then I read it again, and I read it again. And you know what? You know what happens? Meditation becomes easier because you, you're like, wait a second, this, I, I read this before. Oh, yeah, it's over here. And then you start making your own connections. Then you start making your own cross-references. And then you start thinking, and then you start memorizing. It just becomes easier to memorize. Because you're, 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 you're limiting what you're reading, and you're going deeper. Now, here's why this is important. Because I know some of you are like, I thought this class was going to be good. This has been lame. All right, hold up. Well, we, we haven't even got to the glory yet. You're thinking, I thought we were going to look at the glory and grace of Jesus. Here we go. As you begin to, for example, Luke, let's say you read Luke. It's a big book. It's a long book. Let's say you start reading Luke, and you read Luke 9, and then a few days later, weeks later, you get to the end of Luke. How does Luke end? It ends with, like all the Gospels, Christ's death and resurrection, the exodus that he was talking about in this passage, remember? And as you read it again, you go back and you read Luke again, you get to Luke 9, you read about the transfer, and then you go back, and then you get to the end And then you read it again and you think, wait a second. You start meditating. You start meditating. And as you do that, some things start to happen. You start comparing the the Mount of Transfiguration with the crucifixion. You ever done that? Well, let's do that as we close. We talked about this incredible, audible thing that's happening, this visual thing that's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's compare it to the cross. Remember, at here we go.
on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus Christ is revealed in divine glory. But on the hill of Golgotha, Jesus is crucified in shame and in disgrace. A bright cloud overshadowed Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. His glory shone brighter than the noonday sun. Yet on the cross, what what was it? Deep darkness. Darkness covered the land from the ninth hour, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. A deep darkness, kind of like the one that fell on Egypt during the plagues. At the very hour, listen, our glorious Redeemer, the very light of the world, was performing our exodus. At the same time, the land is covered in darkness. On the mountaintop, Jesus had how many men beside him? Remember? He had two men. Two men of God, Moses and Elijah. Two holy men. On the cross, how many people did Jesus have beside him? Two. Two criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And as he poured himself out to death, he was numbered with the transgressors. At the transfiguration, Christ's clothes became white as light, but on the cross, the glorious Son of God is mocked and shamed and stripped naked, and the Roman soldiers divided his garments among them. And he did all of that in order that scriptures might be fulfilled. On the mountaintop, God the Father declares, this is my beloved Son, Listen to him. But on the cross, the beloved son cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine as you reflect on those parallels. The very one who was forsaken in our place is the very one the father has given to us. He has given to us his beloved son. That is is far infinitely greater than if he had given us a thousand worlds. He can give us and he can make more worlds. But he only has one son to give. And he's given him to us on the cross. We deserved to be on that cross. We deserved to die for our sins. And yet the glorious one, the holy one, the beloved one died in our place as our substitute. He took the penalty that we deserved on the cross. And by his wounds, we've been healed. You, you probably have heard this before, but some, there might be someone in this room who you showed up at this class, you're thinking, what is, I don't even know what this church is about. We're about the good news of Jesus Christ. This one, this glorious one, the son of God, he came to the earth and he lived in our place and he died in our place and he rose again in our place for our justification. And the only way to the father is through trusting in him alone. It's through receiving him in the empty hands of faith. So, friend, if you don't know Christ this morning, this one, through this word, is calling you to trust in him today. How could you not trust him? How could you not receive him? And what is even more glorious? He did rose again from the dead. Amen. He's alive. And did you realize, sometimes we never thought about this. Did you realize he's coming again? (laughs) And when he comes again, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be transfigured. This is a preview of coming attractions, beloved. It's not just a preview of his glorious coming. One day you will see him and you will be made like him. For you will see him as he is. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven 
and from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowliness into conformity with the body of his glory by the power that he has even to submit all things to himself. One day, you, friend, if you're trusting in Christ, will be transfigured in glory. You'll be made like him. But it's even better. Keep going to the end of the Bible. The very thing Moses asked for at Sinai, show me your glory. And the very thing that was veiled in the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration that the disciples could see but only through the cloud, the glory of the Lord. We will with glorified eyes no longer see it by faith. We're going to see it by sight. This is how the Bible ends. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its light lamp is the Lamb. And then probably my favorite verse in the whole book of Revelation. Chapter 22, verse 4. We will see his what? His face. We'll see his face. You're going to see the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. You will see his face. Right now, we only see it by faith. But then we're going to see it by sight. And so, brothers and sisters, let me just close with this. You might be thinking, well, Nick, it, it would have been so much better just to have been there. If, if, I, if I had been with Peter and James and John, I wouldn't have fallen asleep. That's probably what you're saying. And that's not true. But maybe you would have said, you know, if I, if I, could just, if I had just been there when he calmed the winds and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, if I had been there when Lazarus was raised, if I had been there on the Mount of Transfiguration, if I could have seen it, well, then it'd be a lot easier for us now to look for his glory in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, let's give the last word this morning to someone who was there. Okay? Let's listen to what Peter says. You know, Peter talks about this whole event in first. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. You ever thought about this? Peter says, for when he, he's talking about the Savior, when he received honor and glory, there it is, from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. Notice, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now at this point you're thinking, is he talking about the baptism of Jesus or the transfiguration? Well, just keep reading. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him where? On the mountain. So it's a transfiguration. And this is the most astounding verse. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed or made more certain to which you will do well to pay attention. Let me put this in a Nick Roark standard version translation. Do you see what Peter is saying? I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw his glory with my eyes. And I heard the voice from heaven. In other words, and guess what? He was clueless. He was there. But he, he gives us good news. Do you know what's better than being there? Having this book. You have in your hands a prophetic word more certain. This is better than being there. You have a Holy Spirit inspired interpretation of that event. And all you have to do is pay attention to it. <laughs> so when I say eyewitnesses of his majesty, you get to be an eyewitness of his majesty every time you open this book. The question for all of us, though, 
is will we listen to him? Will we listen to him? So we're going to go listen to God's word here in a minute. You, you get to practice on Jeremy. Right? As he preaches this morning, let's prayerfully, carefully listen and let's look for the glory and grace of Jesus. Would you pray with me?